Gotta go catch my flight. So how's it feel to be a solid citizen again? Man, I don't know. I'm gonna miss being disreputable. Well, Luther, if it makes you feel any better, I'm always thinking that way. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. If you disagree, <laughs> join the discussion at Twitter at, at the Rank Podcast, on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com, or email us at therankwithjohnandzach at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at the Rank Podcast. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. Anyway, enjoy the show. I used to love uh, eating bets, right? Because oh, yeah. nobody like expects me to be able to. Maybe they would now, because I'm I'm a lot larger. But but there was a time when nobody would expect me to be able to eat as much as I did, and um, I would always win those bets. Well, he bet me that uh, that I couldn't eat only Chipotle for a month. And he's like, now for every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you can't eat anything but Chipotle or products that you can purchase at Chipotle. And I was like, well, what do I get? And he's like, I will give you $500 and repay you for all of your meals. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, this is easy money, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said to Sarah and she was like, you're not doing that. <laughs> I was like, but it's $500 plus free food for a month. And she was like, John, no. Like, I'm not becoming the wife from Supersize Me, thank you. I didn't get to do it, but I, I'm telling you, I could have won that. Road's not taken, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what I should really be regretting. I think I've probably told you this before, but when I was working at Regal, there was like a, a container of a package of double stuff Oreos that they put out. It was like a Christmas thing for, they were for every, everybody. And I jokingly was like, what's everybody else going to have? Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm such a funny guy. Um, <laughs> and, and this guy was like, this one of the kids that worked there was like, uh, there's no way you could eat that all by yourself. I'm like, not only could I eat that all by myself, I could do it in five minutes. And he's like, I bet you $20 you couldn't. And then, like, other people are like, oh, I'll get in on that. I'll do 10 I'll do. I was like, this is a mistake that you guys are making. I hope you know that. I was like, wait, do I get to have milk with it? And they're like, yeah, you can have milk. So I ate the first two sleeves of it in under a minute. Showed them. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd get a bigger reaction for that, but um, I, <laughs> you uh, you really missed a chance by not going on Fear Factor. You know that? No, I did not because I wouldn't have. I there's no way I would have eaten bugs and shit. Oh no! Earn Joe Rogan's approval. I think it would have been worth it. Well, I, you know, hopefully we earn his podcast approval. <laughs> I think that's a given. <laughs> 
I've I've heard how he feels about pasta, and <laughs> yeah, that alone is gonna, he's going to be like, oh my god, we're there. Funny is, I think this episode is going to actually air before the pasta episode, so I'm going to leave this in so that people will be like, what's he talking about? <laughs> what on earth does that have to do with pasta? <laughs> They're going to be looking up, does Joe Rogan really like pasta? I don't understand. <laughs> and they're going to get in a weird, like, Google sinkhole of Joe Rogan facts and pasta, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They're going to go on a deep dive of Joe Rogan pasta facts. And then we'll get an email. We'll get, like, a bunch of comments like, you know what the fuck you're talking about? <laughs> From Joe Rogan, not even his rabid fans. Yeah. Like, I do not like pasta. Take it back. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I do like pasta. Um, so, you know, so we're doing Mission Impossible today. And I remember, I remember vividly this movie coming out that the summer of 96. Because um, it was the same summer that Independence Day came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, so I was 12 going on 13, right? And... I'm sure you remember this about me, but I was like way into the movies, right? And mm-hmm. I had Entertainment Weeklies, and I would I would save them. I had a subscription to Entertainment Weekly at 12 years old, which is, you know, thinking back on it, seems fairly pathetic. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, but then on top of that, I saved every one of them so I could reference back if I wanted to. No, yeah, that's what I that's what I specifically remember in your closet, just having this yeah big pile, pile of Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> other thirteen year old boys with other piles of other magazines than Entertainment News. You're yeah. like, hold on, let's check into the archives for the number you know thirteen movie in the country in September of last year. It was what fairly it was the next year that we started getting into wrestling. I think again. And then I, I had a subscription of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, good old PWI. And then, uh, then I had a stack of those next to my uh, stack of entertainment weeklies. I was um, a weird kid. <laughs> you, uh, you'd be good at running archives, you know that? Just keeping all these random things for no reason. Yeah, yeah. I'd you be good at it. being a hoarder. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be generous with the archives angle, but you're like, no, 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 I'm pathetic. <laughs> Um, but what I remember though is so Entertainment Weekly always has like uh, every season movie preview, you know. Um, but the summer one's a big one, right? Because that's when all the the biggest movies, the biggest budget movies come out because they're, you know, trying to capitalize on all the kids that aren't in school. And uh, I remember that Mission Impossible was the, the cover of the of the summer movie preview issue. I just want to mention, I uh, Google Joe Rogan and pasta. It turns out that he is extremely against American pasta and only eats it in Italy. That feels on brand for him to say something like that. Yep, he's full of, full of interesting opinions. <laughs> but, but no, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I remember it. And it was like, it was like, oh, it was, the picture of it was like him hanging above the, you know, the pressure-sensitive floor. So, I don't Is know. Is that from this movie? <laughs> so you watched it recently, is what you're saying? Mm, yeah. 
I guess we can just get right into it, just so everybody knows that... Uh, oh, actually, you know what? I think it's your turn to do the agenda, so let's get right into it and go. <laughs> Here's Zach with more. First, we um, talk about the movie, right? We give some potent notables in which we talk about, uh, I think, mostly uh, box office, followed by a pretty in-depth discussion of the movie and its plot. Uh, so, spoilers, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible in the last uh, you know, 30 years, then you should, I guess, get on top of that. I agree. It's pretty pathetic if you haven't seen <laughs> Mission Impossible. <laughs> they're waiting for the they're waiting for the whole series to come out before they <laughs> they're waiting for Tom Cruise's death. <laughs> so is Zenu. <laughs> um, waiting for him to come home. <laughs> I miss you, Tom. Um, we get into the rank right where we uh, actually rank our um, categories depending on the subject. And in this case, action movies. We have the specific. How many how many categories do we have? Ten. Ten categories. <laughs> so anyway. Um we have ten categories that we rank, and at the end of the day we'll find out what what is the best, you know, X whatever it is that we're talking about. In this case, action movies and, and there will Mission Impossible rank. We don't know. We'll have to see. Because that's what we're ranking today. The nineteen ninety six movie starring Tom Cruise, written Mission by David I'm sorry? Mission Impossible. I'm just saying the title again. <laughs> Written by David Kep and Robert Town from a story by David Kep and Stephen Zalian that was based on the television series created by Bruce Geller and directed and and it was, the movie was directed by Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. Um, we've ranked Aliens, Cliffhanger, Central Intelligence, Bloodsport, The Mummy, Predator, Hero, Iron Man, Speed, Bullet Train, and Jason and the Argonauts so far. Do you remember which one's leading the list, Zach? Uh, it's uh, Iron Man. Yes, Iron Man. Uh, it's currently the best action movie ever. Um, so we'll see. Let's see if uh, Mission Impossible can can uh, live up to Iron Man, which is kind of fun because Tom Cruise was supposed to be the original Iron Man. Probably for the best that it wasn't, but that's okay. So this is the first one that we're doing, the first action movie we're doing that stars Tom Cruise, which... I think a lot of people think of Tom Cruise as an action star, right? Like, I think it's kind of synonymous now. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think of him that way? Now I do. I used to think of him as a uh, dramatic actor, um, particularly in movies where he tries to have an Irish accent. Which one is that? Far and Away? Far and Away, which is Far and Away, one of the worst Irish accents you'll ever hear. I've never seen it. Oh, it's pretty. It. It's pretty bad, John. <laughs> it's literally like he watched a commercial, a, a serial commercial, and just went, "I don't need any work. This will do it." <laughs> Entire rest of the thing is going to be me talking like that. I hope that's okay with you. Um, you know, I hope that that's not going to be true. But um, <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, my accent is very O based. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> oh, a lot, lot of this. Oh, laddie. Yeah, or um, Mission Impossible. <laughs> what the, it started off Irish, and then it ended in, like, Nigerian. <laughs> well, duh. That's, um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the pretty normal progression, I think. Well, so, 
Irish people do end up everywhere. I don't know. Every time I turn around, there's Irish people floating around all sorts of parts of the world. Yeah. Far and away from where they're supposed to be. Far and away. We came full circle. So, you know, I actually think... So my personal opinion is that this movie propelled him into action movies. Like, that, this movie is what made him start doing action movies, be taken seriously as an action star. Mm-hmm. Some might argue Top Gun, but I mean, Top Gun was the only action movie he had done, and this was 10 years after Top Gun. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was still just, I mean, now I think of him as an action star, but back when we were young, Tom Cruise to me was just, you know, he was just an actor. Mm-hmm. Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, um, the other stuff, Jerry Maguire, <laughs> other stuff. Anyway, the guy, all he does is make hits. It's kind of unbelievable. All he does is get up in the morning, put his pants on, and make hits. Yeah, he's like Christopher Walken in the Blue Oyster Cult. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's move on to uh, the movie summary here. So <laughs> let's, let's, that's gonna be the that's gonna be a recurring theme. I think. Let's move on. <laughs> oh yes, let's. Well, oh, Jesus. I'll know that Irish is coming every time I hear, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm incapable of beginning a, a sentence with an Irish accent if I don't go, oh, at first. <laughs> well, in Mission Impossible, Jim Phelps gets a new mission from the IMF, which is the Impossible Mission Federation or something. I don't even know what the last one is. Uh, but during this mission, him like and his entire team. Organization. I'm sorry? It's like a bootleg wrestling organization. I know. That's a, <laughs> uh, but during this, during this mission, him and his entire team appear to die, except for Ethan Hunt and Jim's wife. Um, the mission was to recover the knock list, and Ethan ends up being the top suspect for the loss of the list and, de- and decides to take matters into his own hands and find out who is actually behind all of this. The answer may not be what Ethan is expecting. Mm. That's my summary. It's a good summary. Thanks, man. I can't tell if I'm getting better or worse. <laughs> no, I, that was a, that was legitimately a pretty good summary. <laughs> um, oh, it was. So now we're on to our potent notables. As always, we'll start with the box office numbers, and as we all know, this was a huge hit, right? It made $181 million domestically and $276.7 million internationally for a worldwide total of $457.7 million. And against it was against a fairly modest, by today's standards, budget of $80 million. I feel like the mission, like the newest Mission Impossible movies that are going to come out are probably going to be at least double that budget, you know? I think that's Tom's salary just by itself. Yeah. Actually, we, ha- we do have, so I'll, yeah, I've got that on here. So Tom Cruise's salary at this point in his career, uh, because of Jim Carrey, um, he was asking $20 million per movie because that was like the thing back in the mid-90s for actors, uh, you know, top stars like this. But he actually decided to forego his salary. Uh, well, I don't know if forego is the right word. I think he, t- he took a cut on his salary, on his upfront salary, to mm-hmm. take points. Oh, yeah? Which I, I don't know if it was the first time this had happened, but it was the... The first time it happened to such crazy dividends. 
Uh, he made seventy million dollars on this movie, which is which is more than twenty. Yeah, so it was a good choice. So anyway, let's get on to some of these these interesting little facts. So here. so wait, just just the amount that he took home was almost enough to recoup the movie's budget. Exactly. That's now that I'm thinking of it that way. That's a little crazy. Like he himself could have fronted the the this movie. Exactly. Right. He almost would have. He almost would have broken even. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Um. So I guess I, mean, I guess I guess that's I a partially he, good business acumen for. Yeah. I don't think of that way. I mean, he ch- he kind of changed the the industry in the way that uh, actors are paid, top billed actors. Mm-hmm. You know, when he did this. Um, but let's, so let's go into the, the movie a little bit. Um, the trick, you know, the, the part where he's like, did I really give you the knock list? Do you think yeah. I would really trust you with it? And he's doing like yeah, a little sleight of hand. Yeah. That was actually sleight of hand that Tom Cruise did. Why am I not surprised that he randomly knows magic? <laughs> it wasn't a camera. Tr- I was, I was surprised. I didn't, I just assumed it was a camera trick, you know? No, he's that good, I guess. Well, I feel like what Tom Cruise does is he like gets a script and he goes, okay, I'm going to have to learn how to do this. I'm going to have to learn how to do this. Okay, time to go learn how to do all this stuff. We should we should cast him in something where it's like, all right, got to go learn how to make infinite renewable energy. <laughs> and then he'll do his own stunts and actually invent, you know, fission or something. Faster than light technology? No problem. I, I, I actually think you're onto something here. Yeah, just just convince him it's for the role. Yeah, Tom, you're gonna you're gonna play the role of an inventor of the of uh, warp drive. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean he is going into space, so yeah, he can finally go home. <laughs> What's he get? Back to uh, what is it? Xenon? I can, that's that's a an element. <laughs> Xenon's a gas. <laughs> a gas? Yeah, whatever. I think it is a noble gas though. Just like <laughs> just like Tom. Just like Tom. That's the only kind of gas he has. Noble. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that... Let's move on. <laughs> oh, let's move on. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh. So this was actually the last movie that got released to home video on the Betamax format. Really? Yeah, isn't that fascinating? I'm going to go buy that for my Betamax player that I own. No. <laughs> don't do that. That's a horrible idea. Good idea. Um <laughs> So I, uh, I actually, I don't know the, the source on this because I, it's just, you know, I've seen them talk about it, you know, in some sort of press junket, right? I don't know, remember where I saw it, but the scene where the water tank explodes, mm-hmm. um, he, he was like talking to this stunt technician, right? About what they're going to do. And so the stunt technician goes, okay, so on three, you're going to run. And then he's like, okay. He was like, on three, you're going to run. Okay, ready? One. And Tom Cruise is like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this is like potentially very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Are, am I going on one? Like three, <laughs> two, one, and I go on one? Or do I go on three, one, two, three, and I go? Do I, is it three, two, one, and then, you know, like zero essentially is what I go on? Like, yeah. you know, and he said that the technician just looked at him and shrugged. <laughs> He's like, like, I don't know, go when you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So anyway, the scene where the water tank explodes, though, it was actually shot in two different locations, which I thought was kind of neat. So oh, where no. the water tank actually explodes and Tom jumps out the window, right, that was on the Paramount lot. But then when they turn the camera and he's running away from the restaurant and the water is kind of flowing out down the street, that was in Prague. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't really know. Movie magic. I just think that's kind of interesting, you know? When he started the sleight of hand trick, he was in Hollywood. <laughs> and, when and then he the knock it, was actually in Prague. Back with Zenu. Um, <laughs> so Riza Vidia, I don't know, this per, the person responsible for directing more episodes of the original Mission Impossible television series than anyone else Riza was Badia. asked by, yeah, Riza Vidia, you know, know this? Okay. No, I, <laughs> you said it so make, confidently. I'm, I'm glad to know that I can just get away with pretending to know things as long as I sound confident about it. <laughs> you sound like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Riza Vidia. Riza Vidia, he's me, he's me uncle. <laughs> I, I always oh, thought really we were getting into an Indian accent at first there. <laughs> oh yeah, you read some idea. No, no, um, no. Just a, only I only make fun of a, a European people, so which makes sense because they're mm-hmm. typically white. Yep. Um, so he was uh, asked by the head of Paramount Pictures to be present on the set for consulting and advising, right? So De Palma goes up to him and he's like, right, like right away, and goes, "I love the original series. I love the show." Um, but uh, the movie's not going to be anything like the television show, and yeah. your presence on set would probably only result in making both of them uncomfortable. Yeah. So Riza just thanked him for his honesty and left the set, never to return. <laughs> I like I, the, uh, I like um, just like uh, tactfully getting rid of somebody. <laughs> oh, I love the show, but get lost. Yeah, exactly. It's just going to make you uncomfortable. Um, the producers decided to cast Ving Rhames as uh, Luther mm-hmm. because they thought he was the opposite of what a hacker usually looks like. No, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that during the movie, I think. Yeah. I, I armed with that knowledge, too. I was like, yeah, that's like that's a good call, actually. I don't know yeah. that you thought of him as being, like, the computer guy. He definitely doesn't look like a bitch, either, so... <laughs> then why'd you try to fuck him like one? Well, you know, <laughs> ask a question, answer a question. You know? I guess that was Zed that was doing that. Um, where is Zed, by the way? He's dead. <laughs> Zed's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so so do you think that would count as an action movie? We might have to think about that at some point. Uh, yeah, well, we'll have to look on IMDb. Uh, so this is actually a good point to say to our uh, to our listener here. We had an idea for what we were going to do for this episode, which got derailed when I realized that uh, one of the movies, uh, the movie that we were going to do, is not listed as an action movie on IMDb. So mm-hmm. we're trying to keep to the to the structure and rules that we've set forth, so we're not going to do it. Um, but it is a Western, so maybe someday we'll rank the best Western ever, and mm-hmm. we'll include it on that. So let's get back to where we were. So the formidable uh, task of lighting Prague at night mm-hmm. um, presented the cinematographer who was Stephen H. Broom and his crew with a complex array of logistics, right? But there's two miles of riverfront on either side of Prague's historic Charles Bridge, and um, it had to be backlit in order to, to like get the atmosphere of old Europe, 
Mm -hmm. So the preparation alone consumed about two weeks before the 12-day shoot along the banks of the Vitava River even began. Um, 11 generators were used to power hundreds of lights, and it was so impressive um, that amateur and professional Czech photographers appeared in droves, eager to capture their city's nightscape as it had never been seen. I just thought that was kind of neat. So how come there's no lighting in Prague? Is there a reason for that? <laughs> I didn't dive that deep into it, but that's a good point. <laughs> like, usually the, city, the city's pitch black. Its residents are like, we can finally see at night. Well, I think it's more just like they had street lights, you know, street lamps. Oh, and they, I see. And they probably needed more light. So this is just kind of a silly thing, but the, the train sequence at the end, it took six weeks to film, mm -hmm. which that's a kind of a long time for, it's not that long of a scene, you know? Yeah. Um, but they filmed it at the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios. Oh, how about that? I thought that was neat. Um, that'd be a fun crossover, huh? Yeah, IMF and uh, MI5. That's um, awesome. I would enjoy that. Why Why hasn't that happened? Actually, <laughs> I I think that Paramount... I think that Paramount does both. Oh, no, that's right. It's Sony that does 007. Sony! Hey, but Sony made a deal with Spider-Man and Disney, you know, and Marvel, so maybe they could make a deal. That would be an awesome crossover. They should definitely do that. Well, the thing about that is that they don't have a James Bond right now. Yeah, but how cool would it be to bring the new James Bond in on a crossover like that? And certainly there will be another, I don't know what Mission Impossible they're on now, but... I think they're, they're they've filmed a two-parter for number, I think, eight. Okay, okay so we'll be on... <laughs> number nine will be its own series of movies. Paramount Pictures owned the rights to the television series and had tried for years to make a movie version, but had failed to come up with a, a viable treatment. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise, of course, had been a fan of the show since he was young and thought that it would be a good idea for a movie. So Cruise chose Mission Impossible to be the first project of his new production company and convinced Paramount Pictures to put up an $80 million budget. Martin Landau was apparently in the original cast. And... The original idea for the opening sequence uh, was to bring back the entire original cast and then kill them all mm -hmm. in the first act. That would have been a really cool idea like to actually accomplish. I think so, too, but none of the Mission Impossible cast liked that idea, as evidenced by the fact that none of them are in it. Enter Emilio Estevez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, we'll get into it, but, you know... He's pretty charming in that role. From the five seconds he's in it. I know, but I'm like, what happened to him? <laughs> and then here's, this is like why Tom Cruise is like so epically well-known in the movie industry, right? Because one, I don't think I've ever been able to say this for any potent notable. The filmmakers delivered this movie, and remember he's one of the, he's like the producer of it, on time and under budget. Because, of course, and they, they were, there was some speculation that part of the reason they were under budget is because Tom Cruise did all his own stunts. I, I don't know if I really buy that. I would think that would actually cause a higher budget because they would be, like, terrified spending tons of money to keep them safe. Yeah. Not that they, not that they wouldn't want to keep the stuntmen safe, but I feel like they're going to cut corners. The TGV, which is the train that they're on, is actually an electric train powered by overhead lines. Uh, but as you could see in the movie, there's no overhead lines, and it would have been impossible for a helicopter to follow it that closely. 
because it would have hit the electric lines. Probably for the best not to go with that direction, then. Yep. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> um, so Alan Silvestri was actually originally hired to score the movie. Uh, he had written roughly 23 minutes of music before he was taken off. So he recycled the material he had written and used it for the score to another action movie from 1996 starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is it a racer? It is a racer. Nicely done. Fantastic. I win again. I don't know. What, I don't know the first time I won, but I win again. So initially there was a sophisticated opening sequence that introduced a love triangle between Phelps, his wife, and uh, Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. And that was removed because it took the test audience, quote, out of the genre, according mm-hmm. to Obama. So here's, here's a, a really a good potent notable I think is, uh, I think it, shows kind of why people think certain things are cool or why they like certain brands. Mm -hmm. Apple computer had a $15 million promotion linked to this movie that included a game print ads and a television spot featuring scenes from the television show turned into a feature film. Um, The dealer and in theater promos, right? And a placement of Apple personal computers in this movie. This was an attempt on Apple's part to improve their image after posting a $740 million loss in its fiscal second quarter, which that's 1996, $740 million in a quarter. Yeah. Um, and the reason I put this in here is because I, I feel like people often, because Apple's like, oh, Apple's so great, right? Um, and now I'm not bashing Apple. Keep us on your podcast list here. But like, you know, <laughs> the... I have trouble with the idea that they're so closed off to any other brand. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you have to be a cultist, yeah. you know, to be with Apple, which I find very frustrating. Um, but people really think it was the iPod that, that, uh, you know, really brought them out, which, you know, it did, it was a huge innovation, but it was these product placement things, which made Apple like cool. Right. I, I always think about it like this too. People say I Googled somebody. Like mm-hmm. you, you said this a couple times in the podcast. I just Googled this. That was not a verb. Do you know when that became a verb? Um, no. Hitch. <laughs> the movie Hitch with Yeah, that was the Kevin first time James. I maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that was the first time I ever heard that phrase. Thank you, Kevin James. <laughs> well, go, I think it, it was Ava Mendez who was like I or maybe Will Smith he's like I googled you uh-huh. and found out your family history or whatever and then she has the crazy reaction at Ellis Island he is a bitch um, I didn't know that <laughs> I'm just amazed I'm sorry go on um, anyway I just you know like that became I actually I remember hearing that being like that's fucking stupid you know, you search for something. Get, get the fuck out of here. But it, it has become such a part of our lexicon that I, even with my initial, like, refusal to use it, I just, I use it all the time. It's just crazy. Even people with Apple phones, they don't say I safaried something, you know? <laughs> I Google it. That sounds pretty stupid. Um, I'm going to start saying that. I don't even have a, an iPhone, but I safaried it. <laughs> safaried it. I binged it. I asked Jeeves it. Um, <laughs> I, I alta vista it. Uh, the uh, so 
George Clooney apparently was offered the part of Ethan Hunt, but he turned it down due to his work in One Fine Day. Oh, <laughs> good choice, George. Yeah, I'm not saying that his life hasn't gone fine otherwise, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, One Fine Day is not quite the... Uh, we're not working on One, one Fine Day 8. You know yeah, I mean? no. <laughs> uh, but apparently fine Bruce... <laughs> But apparently Bruce Willis, John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Rafe Fiennes, and Mel Gibson were later considered for the part before Tom Cruise got the role. Well, they just went through the entire phone book there. Yeah, well, see, this is the hard part I find about this Pope Notable, because Tom Cruise produced it. So my mm-hmm. guess is is that this was before Tom Cruise decided that he was going to produce it. Yeah, just sort of random, random yeah. consideration of a Mission Impossible movie. Exactly. So I think probably... This is not fully the truth. Um, so, you know, just think of how differently things could have could have gone. You know what I mean? If Mission Impossible One goes differently, we don't have any iPhones or anything because Apple goes under with their <laughs> seven zillion dollar losses. Um, Tom Cruise stars in Batman Forever, or Batman <laughs> and Robin. I'm sorry. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe, well, it couldn't have been worse, is what I'll tell you. <laughs> I can't and, wait to write that. Yeah. You, you thought Bloodsport was good. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure that movie's charming in its way, you know? I don't know. I Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. It's rare that I'm more optimistic about something like that than you. Sorry, anyway. Just imagining a weird alternate universe. Um, well, so... Al Pacino, Michael Douglas, and Robert Redford were considered for the part of Jim Phelps. I can see that. In fact, I'm not saying it would be better, but... Well, I want to see the world where Al Pacino was Jim Phelps. Hoo-ha! Yeah. I feel like that would have been an amazing one. Um, I can see see Robert Redford playing that part pretty... Pretty, like, in his sleep, you know? I think... I think Robert Redford would have played it similar to John Voight, but better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Michael Douglas is kind of the same thing, but Al Pacino, I think, would have had like a really different take on it. Is what I would have had. I, a, would have had a, what's the movie where he's the devil with Keanu Reeves? Oh, The Devil's Advocate. Yeah, that's that's what I'm imagining. That's yeah. that. Uh, Great ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it. We, we we don't need to wonder what that performance would have been like now. We now know. <laughs> scenes on top of the speeding train a skydiving simula- simulator was used which was the only one at the time in Europe uh, so that you know could distort Tom Cruise's and John Voight's face mm-hmm. John McTiernan was the original choice for director because that would have been would have been full well, well, I don't know but it would have been uh, would have fit in with our entire thing well you know I'm going to bring this up later when we do our rank um, because I think that I'm not going to say that McTiernan would have done a better job or anything, but I think there's one aspect of this that I think he would have done better than De Palma mm-hmm. did. Um, I don't know if I believe this, but supposedly Jean-Claude Van Damme was also considered for the role of Ethan Hunt, but turned it down. Another excellent choice on his part. Yeah. Uh, sure. What a different movie. <laughs> I... Let's go with let's go with different to be polite, but yes, it would have been a different movie, <laughs> a lot more high kicking. 
Uh, I have a cute little quote from Kristen Scott Thomas here. Uh, she said of her role, I die on page 25, but I, I die. Say, <laughs> I was going to actually j jump in and be like, as she said of her role, I'm in that movie. <laughs> um, I die on page 25, but I die in the arms, arms of Tom Cruise. So it's worth it. There you go. Isn't that, I guess, sweet. I guess so. That's there was a before Tom Cruise jumped on the couch, people loved him. That's and then true. He jumped on the couch and yelled at Matt Lauer, and everybody was like, "What?" Although now Matt now Matt Lauer is disgraced, so maybe that yeah, no, if only if only he yelled he'd yelled at Matt Lauer for the right thing and not <laughs> I know and not that psychiatrists or I don't yeah. remember what the thing was. Um, but the producers cast John Voight as Jim Phelps because they thought the audience would never suspect him as a villain, which oh. I just find hilarious because yeah. he's kind of a villain. <laughs> By audience, they did not mean Angelina Jolie. Tom Cruise told a story about how he often had dinner with Steven Spielberg because he lived next to him. It was this just the life of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, and apparently in one of those dinners, Brian De Palma was there as well. And Tom said he went home and then went back through De Palma's entire catalog and decided that he was the guy that needed to direct Mission Impossible. And that's how De Palma got the job. I'm imagining him obsessively putting in VHS tape after VHS tape of. I think that's kind of how he explained it. <laughs> so He's like, hold on, I got to find Carrie on, on Betamax. Um, so George Lucas helped to give us the opening scene that we all now know. So I, I don't know why I paused there. I don't know. I guess I was expecting to be like, Oh really? I was um, kind of waiting. <laughs> so according to De Palma quote, when George saw mission impossible, he said, there's no setup to this thing. You've got to set this thing up. You, you've got to have that scene where they're all sitting around the table and everybody gets their instructions about what's going to happen. And then he, De Palma added, in the beginning, we had this very strange scene. It's hard for me to remember now with John Voight and somehow the jealous thing with the wife and Tom. And then we get into the first mission. And when George saw the movie, it's, it's the first thing he said. What are these people doing? This is Mission Impossible. It's a group of guys going to do something. So you've got to get them all around the table and tell the audience what they're supposed to do. And that's what we did. We went back and reshot it. So that's an example of us helping each other out. I, uh, I thought you meant the uh, really opening scene where the unrelated Russian thing is occurring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's, I didn't even really think about that. Yeah, I still, I, I assume that's just your, your typical, uh, on, you know, uh, other mission beginning yeah. of the story, but kept kind of wondering well, if that was going to come back. Yeah, never really did, did it? Other than that he could speak Russian, maybe? And I guess his, uh, his, his disguising ability. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm convinced that he just, he just enjoyed ripping masks off. That's all he did. It wasn't even the, the impersonation part. It's just the taking the mask off that he enjoyed. <laughs> like dramatically, aha, I'm actually Tom Cruise, even though I looked a lot like Tom Cruise with the makeup on. <laughs> um, so I'm going to end the Poet Notables with this, I think, kind of cool quote from Ving Rhames. So, quote, originally my character died in the first 10 or 12 pages of Mission Impossible. I said to Tom, 
and uh, and Brian De Palma. Why does the black man have to die in the first ten pages of most movies? You know, normally there's only one black guy in each of these huge budget films. So Tom and Brian obviously thought about that because then I noticed that my character didn't die. <laughs> Wasn't even in the first ten pages. Yeah, well, I think he meant like first ten pages of one of his he, appearance. Of his appearance, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, then, I just thought that was kind of cool that they actually listened to him. <laughs> like, not only that, yeah, they okay. have him in every subsequent one up till yeah. today. <laughs> he talked himself into you know a, a paid gig for the next three years, not thirty. But. Seriously. So let's let's go into the overview of the movie. Mm. Um, the first thing I've got in here is actually about that opening sequence that you were talking about, um, where you know they're randomly interrogating this Russian and Tom Cruise is in a mask. Mm-hmm. But I will say, because, you know, I think we brought this up in another movie. Oh, Bullet Train. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is actually speaking Russian pretty well. Is it? Yep. He's doing a pretty good job of it. Dedication for the role. I mean, it's still, you know, you can tell there's an American accent, but it is not like, da konyechna, the way Michael Shannon did it. Which you is know. how I would do it as well. So I can't really blame anybody, but, and again, yeah. Right, I'm not bashing, but uh, yeah, no, um, Russian wasn't that great. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna. It's it's an odd little scene for me because of how it's apparently on a freaking movie set. I guess they've set this thing up. <laughs> um, it, it seems like a little a little beside the point for me because I think you know it's there in order to set up what they're you know that the team and everything and the fact that Tom Cruise is like their infiltration guy who has like the makeup prosthetics and everything like that. And right. Which, but like the fact that it's apparently in a controlled environment is like not the way that the next mission works. So for me, it would have worked better if it had actually been just like the next mission in some strange place that they had to infiltrate instead of, you know, apparently at their house. I mean, they do sneak in a couple lines about how, he was drugged and he was like, how did I get here? You know? Yeah, I guess um, not. It's not a big deal. It's just, it kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you mentioned that. And I didn't even think of this when I was talking about film coherence, um, but we'll get into it or when I was ranking film coherence, but mm-hmm. we'll get into that. Cause I'm cu- curious what we're going to say for this kind of stuff. But the first thing that I couldn't help but notice once Tom Cruise takes that mask off, I was like, Holy shit. He's so young. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's the real, the real disguise. Yeah. You know, what they should do is they should have, um, in Mission Impossible Nine or whatever, they should have Ethan Hunt in disguise as young Tom Cruise. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> that, w- that would be a real makeup job, <laughs> or slash plastic surgery, I guess. But uh, then- yeah, it's it's like uh, it's a whole lifetime ago, you know. Yeah, and then they talk about, you know, Claire being under for too long, mm-hmm. right? And then all it takes to wake her up, I guess, is, like, just a touch on her cheek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's been well, under too long. Here, touch like her touch her. Yeah. A touch on her cheek from Tom Cruise. Yeah, and then it's like she's the most seductive, anesthetized person in history. Oh, for real. <laughs> With the hand. Well, I mean, she's the... She's breathing heavily, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I found that to be very bizarre. 
Um, but so then, uh, then we get into our the opening credits. Mm-hmm. After this, they successfully got the information they needed, and then did they kill him? What what happened to the Russian guy? I feel like they just killed him, right? I thought They're I like remember poisoning him, him and killed. But I don't know. I, I, I suppose it doesn't matter very much. <laughs> what I want to say though is, okay, we've got an action movie, right? Mm-hmm. High intensity type of movie, you know, thriller, trying to figure things out. Um, speed also high intensity mm-hmm. movie and everything. Yes, indeed. And I just want to be like, hey, Jan, as in Jan Debont. Debont, yeah. Um, can you watch this opening credit sequence? Because I feel like <laughs> they did it better. They did. They did it better. They did have the advantage, though, of uh, having a, a literal ticking time bomb graphic to help move things along. That's true. Of a fuse going off <laughs> that helps that helps the impetus move along. Sure, but imagine if you had a fuse for the speed slow rise through the <laughs> elevator shaft. I still think it would be like. Okay, so it's a really long fuse, I guess. Dennis Hopper is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, with somebody who blows something up. It's not an arsonist. Wiley Coyote? Oh. (laughs) Yes, he's the worst cartoon coyote villain of all time because this fuse is a mile and a half long. Doesn't it seem like a Wiley Coyote move, though? It really does. (laughs) It hadn't occurred to me, Dennis Hopper as Wiley Coyote. Um, Um. but yeah, no, that the the sequence is is much more snappy, which is important because you don't want to like drag the movie down before it even starts. Yes, like Mr. Debont. Um, so I, uh, I I feel like in movies they always show airplanes as being like really spacious and luxurious. Yeah, I want to ride on these airplanes for real. How, how like, do I get out? I think it's I think it's zero with class. It's nth class. It's not even. <laughs> And th- was it the case that they used to be able to play movies on what seemed to be like cassette tapes? Yeah. What was that? I I wrote that. I'm like, what is the tape that he's getting here? Yeah. It was is that it's like, like an a eight track? Yeah, I know. Was it like a famous person thing? Like you, if rich people had it back then, and we just have no idea. Is that what Betamax looked like? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why this Maybe. movie came out in Betamax. Yeah, they're like, well, I guess if we're gonna do it this way. <laughs> But yeah, I want to ride in that airplane. Seriously. Now, I also thought it was kind of funny because, like, you know, I realize that the exposition that they're giving for the mission uh, is for the audience's sake. But I thought it was kind of funny because it's like if if Jim Phelps is like, you know, 30 years in at the IMF or whatever, I feel like he knows what a knock list is. Yeah. So it's <laughs> explain to him. Um, and then the next thing I wrote is what happened to Emilio Estevez, which we've already talked about. Yeah. But I'm just like, what happened to him? This was like the last movie he had like a big role in, and it was in the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, when 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 he showed up in this. But he, he shows up at the very beginning, and my first thought was, I didn't remember Emilio Estevez being in this movie. And then uh, about 20 minutes later, I said, oh, that's why I don't remember Emilio Estevez being in this movie, because <laughs> he's barely in it. But it's funny because actually I always remember Emilio Estevez being in this movie. It's like it's like imprinted on my brain because I remember being surprised to see him. And mm. also, Asta Lasagna, Don't Get Any Anya, and Red Light, Green Light. Um, 
well, you remember a lot more about this movie than I ever did, because I definitely saw it, and I remembered almost nothing. <laughs> I remembered Ving Rhames. I didn't even remember Jean Reno. I didn't. Re- I think I remembered the rat in the in the in the vent. In the vent. Which? How did it get there? That's a good question. But I actually thought it was Ving Rhames up in the rent. I in the vent. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I I completely wrote Jean Reno out of this movie. So that's funny. Um, I also enjoyed that. Like, so Jim felt John Void is going over the mission, and he's like. Uh, so, we'll meet, you know, if there's an abort, we meet back here at 4 a.m. That's 0400. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> and another explaining for the audience's benefit moment. Yeah. But they would have done the, if you were explaining it for the audience's benefit, why wouldn't you do it the other way around? Yeah. Meet back here at 0400. That's 4 a.m. people. And instead it's like, that's 4 a.m. Or it's 4 a.m. That's 0400 people or whatever. Like, yeah. You said the confuse, confusing or the more confusing one second. That doesn't anyway. Um, I remember the masks being pretty good. Like in my memory, I was like, I thought the masks were pretty good. But seeing Tom Cruise playing the senator on that TV yeah. show, I was like, maybe they're not that great. <laughs> yeah, uh, same. And it's kind of funny the quality difference yeah. between those masks and the final mask, which I guess we'll get to. Yeah, because you're not yeah. supposed to know that's him. Yes, that's, so they, uh, actually, they actually give it like I don't know what they do to make it look like it's John Boyd, but well, so I read that the masks were all practical effects that so they they were actual masks, every single one. Well, they could have done a better job to begin with. <laughs> I know. I feel like there's no way that the, the John Boyd one was a mask. It I feel to... like it was. Yeah, but anyway. Um, so, you know, then they're on their mission, right? And, um, you know, they get to the, the elevator where you have to like press the button for a really long time so that they can fingerprint you. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I've never seen an elevator like that, but maybe they have them. (laughs) Um, but I really actually enjoyed the giving Emilio's character shit during that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. With the little subtle. Yeah. Yeah, I believe I, I did have a guy named Jack on my staff, and he was very unreliable. <laughs> Whatever he said, I thought it was pretty good. I liked uh, Emilio calling him Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> um, it's funny too because I, I like I was like enjoying the the banter, right? And I was like, ah, oh, but I know what's coming, and it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, yeah. I didn't so. Oh, really? You, you no. forgot that he was going to get killed in the elevator? Yeah. That really I brutal kill scene? I, I I don't know. I feel like he could have done more. I'm not saying he could have escaped death, but he could have done more than look up and allow himself to be killed. Impaled? Yeah. At like, like a very high killed. rate of speed? Yeah. Like, again, he would have died anyway, but like that just felt very fatalistic to me. Yeah, impaled through the face. Yeah. It was brutal. It was a really gross kill scene. I said, and now, like, you know, I'm watching it knowing that John Void is the actual bad guy. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember, I can't remember now if when I watched it back then, if I knew that John Void was the bad guy. But, like, he sure looks like a villain. <laughs> I mean, like, the whole time he's talking to everybody, it's just he looks so shady. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, he's so clearly the bad guy. Anyway. Well, it's it's effective for me because you think that at first, and then he dies. So you go, I guess maybe he isn't. 
then he comes back and it's like maybe he is maybe he isn't so that that kind of worked for me because i actually wasn't sure okay but, but then so again, that's I probably remember, how I felt in the beginning. I've just seen it a bunch of times, you know? Yeah, I've seen it twice now, one of which was in 1996. <laughs> and I do not remember any of this movie except for, um, I think I literally remembered the, the rat more than any of the actors aside from Don Cruz. So, <laughs> so it made me curious, though. Like, So if Ethan had just listened to Jim's abort orders, mm-hmm. does the, the team live? That's actually a good question, because I mean, I assume yes. Christopher Thomas doesn't continue following that guy, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think Hannah doesn't get in the car. With, oh, yeah. And um, Jack is dead no matter what. So Jack's just yeah, Jack's fucked. Fuck Sorry, Jack. <laughs> Sucks. But um, but anyway, yeah, I just I don't know, you know. My I, assumption I get, is that he knew that, that, that Ethan wouldn't follow the order. That's all I can figure. That was right. That was I think that's the assumption that you you have to like accept to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, see, this is this goes to what you were saying. I think it might have been a better job to have a mission that was similar, yeah. where Ethan again doesn't follow orders. Yeah, to establish that that's to establish that that's like what he does, and it worked out. Yeah. Right. Um. So anyway. Maybe maybe it's way too on the nose. Maybe that's why I don't write movies. But I would have even included a thing where like Jim's annoyed at him at the end, and he's like, you know, one of these days, Ethan, your hot headedness or your stubborn right. attitude is going to get everyone killed. Oh, that would have been perfect. It would have been perhaps a bit, uh, perhaps a bit too on everything. I don't know. I think that would have been pretty good. Um, but I, I remember. I, so I remember that in the restaurant scene later that Tom Cruise points out everybody that was like following them. Yeah. You know? Um, but what I didn't remember, I guess I never realized the two drunks were actually kind of obvious that they were tailing everyone. Um, yeah. And that, that's the one that worked for me in retrospect. Cause I actually went, Oh yeah, they were really conspicuous and weird. The yeah. kind of the, the rest of everybody there, I was like, wait a second, were they even in that scene? Like that, actually, the scene where he's he's pointing them out kind of confused me because I wasn't sure if he was talking about it now or then. Or there were a couple of moments in this. I'm not even sure I'm describing it right. Where Ethan's figuring out of what's going on in his head. Yeah. It kind of confuses me because I'm not sure if he's talking about it in real time or if he's talking or he's remembering something. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I yeah. Because like he's saying when the when um. You know, because he's talking about what, where they are in the restaurant. In the restaurant, yeah. But then saying, so he he's like this person, and then saying where they were at. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I get it. I get, I I could see how that would be confusing. Um, I don't know if it confused me when I first watched, but I've seen it like so many times that it doesn't. I didn't find it confusing watching it this time. Um, I don't know if it ever did confuse me. It might have, you know. I might just be stupid as well. It's no, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I just, I just don't remember if it did. Um, so, Tom. The other thing I know, Tom Cruise is a good actor. I, I don't know how you feel about Tom, but I'm like, he, he draws me. He, draws, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm into this. He's Ethan, you know. I'm like, he's effective if nothing else. I don't yeah. know if, 
I don't know how well-rounded he can always be, but in everything, he's... At the, at the very least, it's a good uh, job by the directors and casting directors to put him in situations to succeed. He's like a good yeah. relief pitcher, you know? They use him in places where he can actually uh, do a good job. Yeah. I mean, I just... I guess I don't really understand how he's been at the top of the heap for so long and having never won an Oscar. It's just kind of crazy to me. He's only been nominated once or twice, I think. He yeah, he got nominated for Magnolia. I, I think that might be it, actually. Or maybe more on no, the No, I think Jerry Maguire, too, right? Possibly. I don't know. I, I don't believe that they would have thought Ethan was the guy. Like, why would, if he was the guy, why would he show up at the meeting at the restaurant? Yeah, that's true. I just, you mean that? You mean a Kittredge? Kittredge, yeah. Um, it was a little strange how, like, that's why the other team was there, to, like, back him up so they could arrest, take in Ethan, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, that's when, when Ethan realizes that they're there, that's when he's like, okay, so you're here to take me in. Um, but it's just odd. Like, why would Ethan even come? And, and even he talks about it later. He's like, well, you know, he's a ghost. Like, he, we're never going to catch him. I'm like, but that, okay. <laughs> I get, uh, maybe he's so dispirited after the loss of the team, he's not thinking straight. But if he was the one who planned on killing the team. Oh, right, right. That's what you're saying. Um, why did Kittred think he came to the meeting just to finish the job or something? I don't know. Yeah, it's just bizarre to me. <laughs> because the, the, the script demanded him to do so, so. Right, exactly. So then we get to, uh, you know, he red light, green lights, the aquarium there. and um, I love that bit of directing because the first time you see Ethan and Kittred sitting at the table, the uh, aquarium is very prominently to the side there. And it just is the kind of filmmaking where you go, that aquarium's going to blow up. <laughs> I've seen this kind of movie before. Um I just and I, and when it happens, I was like so fascinated by the fact that they did that in two different locations. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it seems unnecessary, but I guess whatever. Well, I'm sure they didn't want to like break somebody's actual restaurant, you know. <laughs> so. Mission Impossible rolls into town, destroys restaurants, and then rolls out. Yeah. Um. So then he gets back and he's learned about you know job three fourteen and he goes onto a Usenet or whatever. Yeah, and he's, do- he's doing a search. You know, he's doing very nineteen by the way. Yeah, he does a query and he types in job and there are no results. <laughs> really, they couldn't find anything that said job. No, it's it wasn't an apple. And then after that, he writes an email to Max because you know, of course, he knows the email. You just type Max at job three fourteen, <laughs> which goes where. <laughs> It goes directly to Max's inbox, apparently. Apparently. No dot com needed. <laughs> he, uh, I think he, he, he wrote emails to every uh, arrangements of Max job and 314. He could job at Max 314, three at job Max 14. Yeah. That's what, that's what took him all night. <laughs> um, and then Claire shows up, right? And he's like in a weird dream state. And, um, not really a great He's, secret agent training on, on Ethan's part, falling asleep. And yeah. If she had wanted to kill him, she would have. Yeah, no kidding. And then, uh, you know, then he's got her on the bed, and he's like, ah, who's on you? Right? 
And, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that goes along with what I was going to say about Cruz, where he's such an oddball, because I think he's thought of as like being kind of overacting and kind of cheesy, but also people like his acting. And like he's like kind of not liked because of the Scientology weirdness, but also really liked because his movies you know, are nothing but hits. So I don't really know what to make of him. I don't know if it's I don't different. feel like he's an overactor, really. You know, I well, I get he, the impression that people think that. I, I'm not saying he is or isn't. Oh, I think that people think he's super intense. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I think that, yeah, from the stories that I've heard is he's just, like, really intense and, like, you know. I, there was a story that Matt Damon was telling about him, and he was just, like, he was, like, you know, so I asked Tom about it, and like you could tell that Tom was really excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in his, he's like in that Tom Cruise way, and so yeah. he, like he leans in and he starts talking to you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so the, he's got Claire down there, and I don't know. Did you catch what time it was? No, you you didn't catch what time it was because I, she I, she said it like once or twice, but I I couldn't. I think it was four a.m. Was it was it four oh four hundred hours? <laughs> 4 a.m. Full 400. 4 a.m. 4 a.m. Ethan. 4 a.m. 4 a.m. What? Odd decision by the actress for that part, but that's okay. Yeah. We're gonna get into this, but there's a lot of odd decisions, in my opinion, with Emmanuel Bert or Bert or whatever her name is. Bert. <laughs> um. Anyway, so the. Uh, and then he, you know, he's, he meets up with Max, and he's got him in the shroud and everything. And then, uh, and then he's telling her not to use the the knock list that they've got. Um, but I enjoy that. He's like, okay, use it, but I'd suggest you pack first. That's yeah. a good line. Um, you know, it is a good line, and it is another good line. Was sorry to mention it when, uh, when uh, what's his name, Kittredge? Yeah. When uh, right before Tom Cruise goes into his uh, everybody runs speech, you know, 20 years before Minority Report. He, Kicker uh-huh. um, uh, says, I don't care if you shake hands with the devil. I just want to make sure you do it in hell. I was like, cool line. <laughs> yeah, that actually, that was a good line. Um, kind of made me root for him briefly, and then I was like, all right, now he's an idiot. Partly because the actor's kind of strange. I don't really know what's going on with him. Was he, like, weirdly enunciated things and stuff? It was kind of... Is Henry Zerny, I guess? I don't know anything about him aside from... I don't either. He's in this movie, and he kind of weirded me out a couple of times. I mean, I think we were supposed to get the impression that he's, like, the potential baddie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, from that standpoint, I think, you know, he did a decent job. But it was weird. Like, remember, he enunciated ghosts really well. Yeah. Ghosts. They're trained to be ghosts. Yeah, I kind of wonder if he's American or if he's doing a strange American accent. Oh, maybe that's a good point, actually. And it kind of it it kind of makes me wonder in the, these cases if the directors and everybody get together and are like try to get them to give sort of an odd performance that's supposed to make the audience feel like off put somehow. Yeah, I could see that. Because like that's... if he's too, if he's too likable, then like you don't buy him as a bad guy, like you said. Right. Right. So I, I, I even wrote in here, I said, I know Kittredge isn't the villain, but he would have been a good one. He's got some yeah. villainous tendencies. No, he's he's kind of a kind of a dinkus. He, yeah. Um, also, what's with the lab coats? Like plastic lab coats. I mean, you look pretty conspicuous, and everybody 
is in these plastic lab coats, which are clearly used to murder people, they're going into a building all at once. I guess they're not really concerned about it being conspicuous because they're the IMF. <laughs> um, and then, so, you know, anyway, they get out and everything, and then he's he's going to search, I guess, the knock list that he has personally. Like, what if you have access to this, why don't you just copy it? <laughs> but anyway... So, you know, throughout this whole thing, they've shown how fast he types. Right? Mm-hmm. But then when he's typing disavowed, it's D-I-S. <laughs> it's, like, it's like very film film typing, you know? Yeah. He's like, I know there's a camera behind me, so I'm going to do this real slow. <laughs> You're right, the disavowed part. Yeah. Which, which I thought that he was just like Google searching. He was just hitch searching, you know, disavowed. Yeah. Like, let me just Google disavowed, see who's, see who comes up. Oh, Ving Rhames, of course. Um, <laughs> it looks like it looks like Henry Zerny. I would just want to jump on him because he's quite, he's got a couple of odd potent notables about him. Okay. Uh, first, first he's Canadian, so that explains it. Yeah. Second of Don't all, saying yeah, for real. Um, he and his friend fellow actor Michael Riley drove across country with a three foot tall Barbie doll that they posed in different settings to create an 80 page book of pictures of them with this three foot tall Barbie doll. And really three foot tall Barbie doll is kind of a mean thing to call Tom Cruise. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a Ken doll? <laughs> well, Ken is, is totally smooth down there. So I guess only Katie Holmes knows. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> not Nicole Kidman. She she was for she was one uh, of the lucky ones. Nicole Kidman never never actually did anything with them. <laughs> I don't blame her. I um, mean, there were rumors. Remember when they did Eyes Wide Shut that there were like rumors that they had to teach them how to be intimate with each other. That's what uh that's what killed Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> intimacy coaching those two. <laughs> um, um, Michael Riley. A, oh, no, Michael Riley is in nothing. I don't know who he is. He's in um, what? He's in nothing. He's oh, okay. I don't know who he is. He's the only movie I've seen of his that he's in is French Kiss, and I don't know who he plays. It's not Gene Reno's character, strangely. Um, Gene Reno's and yeah, he's uh, is that that's the guy. Billy Crystal one, right? No, no, no. You're thinking about Forget Paris. Oh, oh, French Kiss is Meg, Meg Ryan and Meg uh, Ryan and Kevin Klein. Yeah. Exactly. I uh, we should do a uh, romantic comedy. Um, I'm down. I actually really like romantic comedies. I have seen way more romantic comedies, specifically from that exact era, than I care to admit. If it exists, I've seen it. Up to and including One Fine Day. Well, because they don't... I, I saw One Fine Day in the theater. Um, oh, that, that was beyond debate. I saw Mickey Blue Eyes in the theater. I didn't see that in the theater with Hug Grant. Um, <laughs> so, uh... Oh. Anyway, so anyway, I just... I want to apologize to Tom Cruise for the short joke, given my own height. But um, I saw <laughs> funny. it. I didn't even put that together. I had, I had to take it. I had to take it. <laughs> I was reading that, and I said, there's no way to not. There's no way to. I, I would never forgive myself. But anyway, yeah. I'm glad that you did. I think it was, I think it was good. Um, now, there. Are, so the next thing I wrote about on here is, you know, he sees, he's meeting with uh, – Ving Rams and Gene Reno, and, or Krieger and Luther, if you will. And uh, he's going through it, and Luther, 
he says to Luther, relax, Luther. It's much worse than you think. I, I thought that was no, a good line. Another cool line. Yeah. So they're going through with this heist, which kind of cool that there's like a heist within this action movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Claire sits next to William Donlow. Is it and, your first uh, day? It is my first day. Um, sits next to William Donlow and then you know, she says there's got like a pad that she's looking at. What the fuck is she looking at? Did you look at it? No, I didn't even notice. It's just gibberish. It's like <laughs> it's Arabic or something. I mean, it's like just a bunch of scribbles. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's Arabic. Yeah. Because I, anyway. I walk I walk into the CIA headquarters at Langley carrying Arabic, just sitting. Of course, this is before 9-11. So maybe, you were, maybe it wouldn't have raised as many eyebrows back then. And then we get to, you know, they're up in the vent, right? And and then they, they put that thing down. It unscrews it with a mm-hmm. magnet. Yeah. Would that work? I, I don't know. And also, what's up with the, um the like, it captures the lasers in its own mirror. Like, it set, transports them. Cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool, but what is it? Like, does it send them to the Shadow Realm? Like, the Phantom <laughs> Zone? Is it in there with General Zod? I don't understand. What you don't see where it, it like pops up and then it's just going across it. So it like it doesn't. It just basically makes them? it so it doesn't break it. Yeah, it just redirects them. Well, that's interesting, is what it is. But this cool. movie, this movie does have a couple of parts where I go, where did where did they get like firefighter outfits suddenly? Like we did, we skipped the part where they got. How them. did they get a fire engine? Yeah, like are those just available? <laughs> they could have. They could have at least had him on the phone with his contact. Like you know, I don't know. Maybe that would have been pointless. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I get it, right? Because it's like sometimes the more exposition is bad, but sometimes it feels like might be needed. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's just supposed to be like you're just supposed to accept that they can get whatever they need. Yeah, know? yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, and actually, uh, Krieger says that he can get the laptops in 24 hours. So, presumably. right, the laptops. So that's the only thing that he said he could get in 24 hours. Everything else yeah. somehow they got. Yeah. Now, how did a rat get in there? Which I already questioned, but how? It's it's like a perfectly clean ventilation system, aside from one rat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but the rest of it, I mean, what an iconic scene! It was such a mm-hmm. cool scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that people have been parodying it, parodying it for years. Um, it's just really good. It's it's basically the only thing I remembered about this movie, and that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then we so they get back, you know, so they've stolen the knock list, and they get back to their hideout or whatever, which isn't some random person's office, apparently. <laughs> um, but I actually get why Gene, why Kriego, why Gene Re- Krie- Krieger. <laughs> Fuck, man. Gene Krigo. I have a new alias for the next time I'm on you know, international <laughs> spying assignment. Gene Krigo. Double O. Uh, oh. So, but anyway, I actually get why Gene Reno's character there is like annoyed with Ethan. Because mm-hmm. like, he's saying, hey, Ethan. It's not like he's being mean. He's not being like over the top. He's just saying, hey, Ethan. Like you couldn't look up. It's kind of a dick move. Yeah, he could have acknowledged that he's talking to you. He could have just been like, uh, one moment, please. Yeah, give me a sec, I'm busy. I am a Newton bitter. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nice memory on the German. 
well, you know, I'm, I'm being as Gene Krigo. I have to speak fluent German. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, shortly after that, he finds, he realizes that the, the Drake hotel stamp on the Bible, right. Um, which references back to when Jim Phelps said that he stayed at the Drake hotel on his recruiting trip. Uh, and so here's the thing for me. I still don't understand how that gave it away. Me too. Exactly what I was thinking. During the movie, I was like, how does that follow? Yeah. I thought we were going to get more maybe, but no. And then, like, Jim even references it. Like, he's like, oh, those damn Gideons, they stamped it, didn't they? I'm like, but why would that matter? Mm-hmm. So I, if I was Ethan, I'd be like, wow, that's weird that Jim stole a Bible from the hotel. Seriously. I guess maybe he planted it to get Ethan to think of the job job 314 maybe but like you could have gotten the bible from anywhere it's so bizarre dude i i i have never understood why maybe, maybe he needed the uh, uh the ving rames version of the bible and that's the only place he could get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um anyway so moving past that uh claire seems to be getting over her the death of her husband real fast oh yeah I I was so getting so annoyed by her character's like crazy over seductiveness. It, uh, I think it's her first day as a seductress. You know? It was like Ethan, look at me. I am very sexy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The pouty lips all the time, and yeah. like the. I just was like, God, enough. We get it. You're like a good-looking woman. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go to this much trouble. You know. <laughs> Anyway, well, then we then we find out actually that Jim has like he says that weird thing about you know she wasn't right. Sure. He's, he's tasked her with seducing him. I like to think that he's like weirdly ruined her confidence about it. He's making these weird remarks about it, <laughs> like he's he's negged her or whatever. But I was overly confident as I've tasted the goods. Yeah, and she's like, hey, weirdo. I, and I'm also curious, just like Ving Rhames, how Tom Cruise did that sleight of hand trick. Mm-hmm. Especially knowing that it wasn't camera trickery. I'm like, how did you do it then? Misdirection. Um, now, I will say, though, that when Tom, when Ethan, I should say, meets with Jim, right? Jim shows up in London. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, isn't he in London when he sees the, the Gideon mark on the Bible? I think so. So it's like, what the f- anyway <laughs> so uh yeah so he he meets up with him but i i actually really enjoyed the way they did the vignette of him putting jim in the place of everybody yeah oh that was actually fun too yeah um so he's like figuring it out and then he's figuring it out but then also uh it's Jim doesn't know that he's figuring it out. He's he thinks he's putting Kittredge in all these situations. What I thought was interesting too was the way they showed that he was like not ready to put Claire in on the the mm-hmm. yeah exactly. And you know I know he could have done that himself, and then he re- reimagined the situation with Jim doing it. Yeah, it was it was it was a fun scene. However, it was just like the restaurant scene. I I I had to watch it. 
twice, I'll, I'll admit, <laughs> in order to figure out just exactly what I was seeing. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, th I thought it was, you know, sort of nice and subtle, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also enjoyed that they didn't take the audience down the rabbit hole of being Kittredge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, because they could have, they could very well have like filmed everything like that with Kittredge being involved and like him trying to figure out which one it was. And instead they were just like, he thinks it's Jim. You know, mm -hmm. oh, this was a, actually kind of a potent notable, but you know, Kittredge flies in on the helicopter and lands in that area in London, right by the Tower Bridge. Yeah, no helicopter pad there. That <laughs> not not when you're the the ruler of IMF, you can land wherever you want. That's right. Um, it's actually just a park, and they they put that there for that film for the filming of that scene, just for the cool backdrop. <laughs> just like okay. Um, so, you know, now they're, you know, he's, he's told Kittredge to come on the train. They're doing their cool stuff to stop the knock list from getting out and all that jazz, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind, Luther was on the, in like my memory, Luther was, did more blocking than he actually did. Like he was only in that seat for like a couple seconds. Yeah. So I guess he blocked it long enough that they couldn't get it before the channel. But, um. There's I, there's just another example of maybe I wasn't paying as close attention as I should have because I didn't realize he was blocking their attempt to do it. I thought he was like uploading a uh, fake knock list or something. It's not what happened. It I looked it up actually. I was like, what exactly was going on in that scene? But um, yeah, I I actually didn't actually even put together that that's what he was doing. But well, it says on his computer screen there that he's it's a jamming signal. And, oh, uh, I think I missed that. And then, you know, they talked about how the, the cell phone thing that he created had to be close. So, of course, he leaves it. Yeah. And then, well, that's, I think, the part that confused me, that shouldn't it have not worked anymore because the guy brought it? Well, it wasn't working anymore because the guy brought it. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, but you see, as the guy's walking up to him, everybody's cell phone rings. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So, like, that, that's the range, which I thought was kind of neat, actually. Um, made him very conspicuous. Yeah. Um, so Aside from just being an enormous black guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then, so then, you know, Jim's in the John Voight mask, or Jim. <laughs> Ethan's in the John Voight mask, and uh, he's talking it's, to Claire. It was 1996's hot Halloween costume, John Voight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they have like you know the discussion and Jim comes out surprise and uh, for some reason doesn't just kill Ethan. Um, I'm sort of okay with him not killing him right away because he wants there to be a fall guy, you know. Mm -hmm. But then Ethan puts on the glasses and now Kittredge has seen Phelps' face, right? Mm -hmm. Good evening, Mr. Phelps. <laughs> this guy, a very, that was a perfect delivery on your part. Very strange delivery on his part. I, <laughs> I wasn't. It was this actor's choices were bizarre. But listen, uh, it's funny because he was consistent the whole time. It, that part didn't really bother me, I guess. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so 
So then he puts the guy. So now Jim knows, like he's fucked. There's no fall guy anymore. Everybody knows he's alive. So that means it's him, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So why doesn't he shoot him then? Oh, because he wants to shoot his wife. I mean, yeah. that was ridiculous. I thought that was yeah. That was. I just, I just, I just had to, I just had to ignore that part. Basically, I was like, whatever, moving on. We're, we're, we're at the end. We can, we can forgive this silliness. Yeah, but the showdown is like so intense. The, you know, the final showdown with the, uh, with the train, the train and the helicopter and everything. I mean, it's, it's um, yeah, and uh, that I had forgotten how good that that final shot of uh of tom cruise being blown off of that no almost drink. yeah right next that to shot, neck. yeah that shot looks really good the entire thing where he gets blown off like that it's some good uh some good nike Andy six uh special effects yeah yeah and then you know that's basically the whole movie the only thing i had left to say was the one one more really great line and that's by ving rames when he goes i'm gonna miss being disreputable don't worry, Luther. I'll always think of you that way. Exactly. I, uh, it was a great couplet. I, I liked it a lot. I, well, now we're moving on to the rank. That's what we're all here for, right? So we're going to rank uh, the movie based on 10 categories. Story, acting, originality, action sequences, chase slash fight scenes, film coherence, hero appeal, villain appeal slash hatred, supporting characters appeal, and the final showdown. And we rank that on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best. And I'll let you go first, Zach. So we're on story. We're on story. What do you got? Story as well as a later category. I was very back and forth on because I couldn't decide if the story didn't make any sense or if it was really cool. It was basically like either a really good grade or I it made no sense and I was confused. But I uh, landed on really good and I gave it a four. Well... That is the exact same grade I gave. Really? Gave as well. Um, I enjoy the story, but at times it does feel a little contrived. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it feels like they were trying too hard to make it complicated as to throw the audience off the scent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, maybe it worked, but I felt like it could have worked without that as well. Mm-hmm. So. It, yeah, absolutely. There was, I remember seeing it for the first time way back in the olden days. I mean, might have just been the, I was younger, but I remember this movie making no sense whatsoever and like being like annoyed that I had to sit through it because it made no sense. But I'm not really sure exactly what I wasn't following then because it made more sense than that. Even stuff that didn't really, like you said, some of the contrivances, it, it wasn't, it wasn't totally noticeable. It was just movie contrivances. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, uh, so I remember that critique of this movie Mm-hmm. I remembered thinking, like, why does everybody think? I felt like it was pretty easy to follow. Um, but interestingly, in this rewatching of it, a more critical rewatching of it, mm-hmm. I saw what people were saying. Yeah. You know, I think so. Historically, I've, I'm very good at just sort of letting go of things. Like, I'm just like, it's entertaining me. So, you know, I can let mm-hmm. go of that kind of stuff pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, same. And it was stylish and the directing was good. So right. it didn't bother me. Um, all right, but so on to acting. Acting, I gave a four and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody's excellent in this, except for maybe Emmanuel Burt. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck her name is. Who plays Claire. <laughs> yeah. uh, I really had trouble with her ridiculous seductress act. 
Um, it was always over the top. I, I, it's funny because when I was younger, I, I don't remember thinking that about her character. But, uh, <laughs> what did you think about it? I, I remember enjoying her immensely. Um, <laughs> but watching it this time, it was like she was just constantly making my eyes roll. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? I gave it a three and a half. Um, kind of similar. I a couple of the bizarre performances threw me off, like uh, Henry Zerny's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, hers didn't bother me much at all. I just sort of didn't think about it too much. Um, aside from that, everyone was good. Um, I was pleased at... I mean, I feel like John Voight did a good job of being... Well, I guess that's the villain appeal. But um, he did a pretty good job. I, I don't think of him as being charismatic, but he did a pretty good job of being charismatic enough that I didn't actually think he was the villain for a while. So, good job. Yeah, it was hard for me because I... I just, I knew he was, so it was like Mm -hmm. really hard for me to think of him as not. Anyway, yeah, so the next category is originality, and you can, Mm -hmm. let's let's see what you got on that. Originality, again, uh, like film coherence and story, I was like, the fuck? But uh, I gave it a four and a half, because they at least, the ideas were all original, whether or not they were good. And it's interesting because I would have given it a four and a half, even if I'd given story a much lower grade, because at least it was all unexpected and and original, so yeah. I mean, okay. I, I see. Your, I I gave it a three point nine actually, because mm-hmm. um, I I wouldn't say that it's unoriginal, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I, I think they did a lot of interesting things in this movie. You know, I think the action sequences and action sequences and stunts were were like really neat and original, mm-hmm. and things we hadn't seen before. Um, and I liked that it was kind of a heist slash spy movie slash action movie thriller combination, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think they tried to make it more original by making the plot complicated. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, it's it's sort of a fairly by-the-numbers spy thriller. Um, so, I, I don't know, it was tough. I, I went back and forth on it a lot, but I thought it was more original than like a 3.75, but just not quite a 4. Okay. So Yours is probably more fair, but, um, yeah. Um, so on to action sequences. So that's the that's for me. I actually I gave that one a five. Uh-huh. I think every action sequence in, in this movie is done to perfection. I mean, edge of your seat type stuff. I I thought they mm-hmm. really did well. What about you? See, I only gave it. I'm I'm thinking of changing it as we're talking because I gave it a three point seven five, but I largely did that because of there wasn't nearly as many action sequences as I remembered or thought there was going to be. But maybe that's for the best. Maybe, you know, it packs a punch when it does so. And maybe um, it's better for them to maintain, uh, you know, tension by not overwhelming it with action sequences. So I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm thinking of moving it up, but I'm not sure yet. Well, you can think about it. Because the next category is chase and fight scenes. So um, what do you got for that? Chase and fight, I gave a four. But now I'm thinking of moving that up, too. Because I, I gave it just a little bit better than action because, um, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, because there wasn't really many, there weren't, there wasn't really any fighting, right? Right. And I'll get into that on my ranking as well. But at the same time, I'm considering the entire movie to be kind of a chase scene. It's kind of a chase That's movie. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Although they say specifically that they're not going to chase him. Yeah. They're going to let him cut whatever, but yeah. 
now, now I'm confused. Now I don't know what to do. Well, here, let, I'll, I'll, let me read your mind. It might okay. help you. So for chasing fight scenes, I actually gave it 3.25. Mm-hmm. Because there weren't really any fight or chase scenes in this, actually, right? Yeah. Um, I can't. I mean, if so, we're thinking about the only really chase scene that's in it is in the final showdown when the, the helicopter is yeah. chasing the train. So yeah. that does not, you know, I don't include that in this category. Um, and then, I, you know, I think about the fight scene. There's no fight scene. Really, the only yeah. time that there's any type of fighting is when Jim punches mm-hmm. Ethan in the stomach, which apparently incapacitates him forever. Um, <laughs> and and then the he's, other one is he's quite the punch from an old man, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To the young, you know, special agent. Um, I think it was and, more of a punch to the heart. <laughs> it was a betrayal. Um, but then, you know, there's the other fight scene. You know, a quote unquote fight scene is when they're in their firefighter outfits and they go in and then like the security guard turns around and is like, there were three of you. What happened? And yeah, then they like incapacitate them. So yeah, to right, me, it, right. there's not really anything there. Um, I, so now normally if we say uh, that it doesn't have the, the category within it, then we give it a three, right? Um, so three is the automatic if it doesn't have one of the categories, but I bumped it up a little bit because I still felt it was better than a three to me. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I know there wasn't really that in there, but there was at least a little bit. And the action scenes or sequences are so well done. Um, it just felt like I'm going to bump it a quarter of a point here just for having anything that resembles fighting in it and chasing Anything that resembles fighting. I like, I like the idea of things resembling fighting, but not being fighting. They're fighting adjacent. Um, so does that help you at all? It does, except I'm going in a different direction. I'm going in the original direction I was going in, where the chase and fights for me are... Included in chase and fight scenes for me are the tension of the potential of being chased. And the fact that it's uh, they're looking for him. I know they're not ch- literally chasing him. So with that one, I'm going with a four. Okay. For chase and fight. And for action, I am going with a four. So I'm going with four for both. All right. Well, I mean, it didn't change it a little bit. So. Yeah. I just winged that, by the way. I didn't know what to do until I said it out loud. So. <laughs> I had a feeling of by the way you laughed. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what I'm going to give this. Oh, I gave it a five. I didn't realize I was going to do that. <laughs> it came out. And so I guess that's what I'm sticking with. Yep. Um, so now we're going on to film coherence. And uh, I actually, I gave it a 3.25. Mm-hmm. I think there's quite a bit of this movie that seems like it is unnecessary mm-hmm. and or needs more um, explanation, you know? Yeah, so, that's fair. Why is Max so willing to give up Ethan for Jim? Mm-hmm. How did the stamp from the hotel help Ethan figure it out? Do we need the weird romance type stuff between Claire and Ethan? Why mm-hmm. does Kittredge think it's Ethan when Ethan shows up at the meeting with him? Also, really, Jim shoots Claire, but not Ethan? Yeah. And to your point, why did we even have the opening scene? <laughs> um, that was like a brutal takedown. <laughs> for, for having liked this movie a lot, you really didn't like some of it. Well, I, I, so I don't want to take away from because 
So 3.25 is better than average, right? And the movie is its so much fun, right? Mm-hmm. I normally wouldn't care that much about this stuff, but when I'm watching it, in it with a critical lens, it does feel a bit like they were just throwing stuff out to see what sticks, you know? No, fair, fair, fair. That's why I went 3.75, because um, as far as film coherence, it could have been like a one. Yeah, right. But I think Brian De Palma did a really good job of, of keeping it together in a way that it just works. Right. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, again, I think the biggest problem it had is just that it tried to be too convoluted. Yeah, absolutely. That was sort of, that's sort of more a script coherence for me, though. Like, I wish the writers had just... Yeah, back right. I see what you're saying there. So Hero Appeal is next. What do you have for that? For Hero Appeal, I have a four because uh, I think he does a good job. I remember, well, I, him being, I remember him being boring when I first saw it, but um, I liked it this time. Maybe it's in retrospect. Well, you know, so I gave it, a, I gave it a five actually. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually tempted to go four point seven five. Um, I just couldn't really pinpoint a reason that it's not a five. Mm-hmm. So, I guess you know, it's just it's one of those things where. And somebody says, what's like the best action character ever? I don't know that Ethan Hunt comes to mind, yeah. you know? But he is an iconic character, and he's a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're definitely rooting for him throughout the movie. Uh, there was no point at which he, like, took me out of it, you yeah. know? So I I was, like, I was like trying to find a way not to give him a five, and I was like, you know what? What am I doing here? It's, it's a five. I kind of like the fact that he was a new character, too. Um, yeah. They didn't reboot or reinvent the other guys. They actually like made it work off of the old show. And now, yes, I agree. That's fun. And I, I know the, I know you said the original cast did not care for that fact, but I liked it. Like you're allowed to change things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't, I'm not really sure why they hated it so much. Only one of the old cast even went to the movie. They were invited to the premiere and only one went and he walked out 20 minutes in. So, uh, so safe to say they didn't care for it. Um, any of them who are still alive, I wonder how they feel. Yeah. After more, the eighth one comes more coming movies, out more movies than I think the show had seasons. Yeah, exactly. There's probably more hours of, there's more minutes of movie than there are mm-hmm. minutes of at this point. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so the next category is villain appeal slash hatred, and uh, I gave that a four. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually tempted to go higher than four because I feel like John Voight plays a pretty reprehensible baddie. You yeah. know, um, I just don't think we have enough time with him in the movie to really to really hate him. I mean, we do, but I don't. I don't think there's enough of time with that character to like really get the the hatred appeal going. Um, That's fair. But, I, th- I mean, I still think it was really good. So, yeah, four. What do you got? Well, it's going to surprise you. I have I gave it a five because I didn't like Kittredge when I thought he was the, the villain. And then it was better that it was turned around and the good guy was the villain, you know, the, the mentor or whatever. It was all really well done. And yeah, Kittredge was off-putting in a way that, I, that worked for me at the end of the day. If he had actually been the villain the whole time, I would have been, like, kind of odd performance. But like I said, <laughs> it, it works for me because... Like, I feel like I was supposed to be off put by. And also, like, that sort of sleazy government guy who, like, controls things behind the scenes, you're not supposed to like that person, you know? Right, exactly. So that works anyway. And I like I liked John Voitzel's speech about how the Cold War is over and the world has changed, and it upsets him. 
I like the I like the president running the country without your permission. That's like <laughs> that, that that felt a little John Voighty, like a little John Voight yeah. saying that to Bill Clinton in real life at the time. Yeah, I no, I mean it's like I said, I really I think I think that if I could have had more time with this character, it would have been been a, maybe a five for me as well because I think John Voight plays a very uh, he he plays bad very well. Ooh. Varsity blues anybody? <laughs> um, but but anyway, so he plays bad, but he does it so well. <laughs> so now we'll go on to supporting characters appeal, and that's that's for you. What do you got? Supporting characters is kind of a fun one, um, since we get a whole new bunch of supporting characters in the middle. But um, the old ones were pretty good. Like you yeah. said, Emilio Estevez is actually likable. Kristen Scott Thomas gets nothing to do. I don't even know the other woman. Um, <laughs> Hannah? Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> and she, she's in it for three seconds. And then um, Jean, Jean Reno is good in that he's sleazy, but he, I mean, does he ever play any other character, by the way? I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not even saying it as a bad way, but like, I, I, you know, you're watching this movie and you're like, oh, Leon the Professional is in this movie. I didn't know yeah. that. Exactly. What a cool, what a cool crossover. <laughs> um, and uh, Luther's really good. Uh, Ving Rhames is really good, and I can see why they kept him around for the entire thing. So. Yeah, he's got a lot of charm for sure. He does. So, what did you give it? Oh, I didn't. I didn't say. I gave it a four. It's funny. I thought it was going to be higher from the way you were talking about it, but yeah, um, I thought it, I thought it was too. <laughs> I kind of, I was I was talking myself into a higher grade. Let's give it a four point two five, because okay. I, I talked I talked myself into it. <laughs> well, I gave it a four and a half. Um, okay. And honestly, if it wasn't for Claire, I think I would have given it a five. Um, you did not like Claire. Just, her character was annoying to me. I don't like um, and superfluous. I I didn't I don't think she added anything. True. True. They could have they could have done a little more with her, given her some actual some actual tension with Ethan, like romantically, because it doesn't seem like yeah. he's ever actually into it. No, it doesn't. And I think there, I think there was more of that and they cut a lot of it out. Yeah. Um, and I think it was supposed to start right at the beginning, like when she reacts so crazy to his hand touching her face. Um, but I don't know. Even then, I just, it just felt like she was always, it was just so over the top. I just like couldn't there have been like a cuter way to do that? I feel like Kristen Scott Thomas would have been a better representation of that kind of character. Yeah, she was like, actually also engaging for the five seconds she was in it. Right, and, exactly. You know, like her little, you know, back and forth with Jack. and I mean, like, that's the type of character that I would have enjoyed seeing more, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I enjoyed, as, as an example, I enjoyed Kristen Scott Thomas, Emilio Estevez I liked. I enjoyed disliking Krieger. Um, I enjoyed Luther. I, um, Kittredge, I thought was kind of perfect for who he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bureaucratic dick. Um, so yeah, four and a half for me. So I'll get on to the last category here, and that is the final showdown. I have a I have an idea of what I think you're going to give it. And okay, I think go you're going to give it. I think you're going to give it just what I gave it, which is me. Which is me now uh, circumventing. You're going first here. Well, here, you know what? Why don't I do this? I'll, I'll tell you what I thought about it. Why don't you tell me what you thought about it? I'll tell you what I thought about it, and then and then you can guess what the score if our scores match. Okay. Um, I basically have no explanation for what I thought about it. Okay. All right. Well, then that makes it harder. 
So I'll just tell you what I thought about it. No, the explanation is the grade. Okay. Is what I'll um, say. Like, I'll say the grade, and you will understand the explanation, if that makes any sense. Here's what I'll say. I felt that Jim's death was somewhat anticlimactic. Okay. Uh, I thought it was too bad that Ethan was never able to have a real fight with Jim. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I liked the fact that he got to confront him for his wrongdoing and show him what he, that he knows, you know. Uh, but it never felt as cathartic for the audience as it could have been, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, but, I mean... Is there anything better than the helicopter chasing the train into the tunnel that mm-hmm. even like clips it to the train and he has mm-hmm. to go into the tunnel because of it? And mm-hmm. then like it blows up the helicopter and he flies back onto the train and then it almost cuts him in the throat as it's stopping. I mean, mm-hmm. it's incredible. So that all being said, what do you think? Did we have the same score you think? I think you might have given it a little bit lower than me. That's what I thought. I Did actually you? thought. I think you went five. I went five. Yeah. Literally one thing I would have changed. I don't know where he got the second gum from. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I only remembered him having one gum. That's it. That's the only thing I would change. Green light. I also might have actually changed him saying that quite so, quite so in the, like that, but that's okay. Uh, I gave it a four and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I see what you mean there. With like the not getting the the real, the real uh, showdown between him and um, Phelps. Yeah, I mean, so it's it it's tough because like, it's such an iconic scene. I mm-hmm. mean, it's so awesome. I just I wish that there could have been more between Jim and Ethan because basically it's just him confronting him. Jim punches him in the in the tummy and then his belly hurts. You know, and he can't get up him. <laughs> It's like the four-year-old explanation of how that movie ended. <laughs> and then he punched him into Tommy, and then they blew up. <laughs> and then right. he, had, he had zebra stripe gum. I just, I felt like, you know, the fact that he died from, like, it was a cool kill scene that he, you know, goes into the ground, but I, I don't know. There's something different about having the hero beat the villain. Mm-hmm rather than having the machine that the hero built beat beat the villain. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but that could just be a me thing. I don't, you know, who knows? I kind of like Ethan flying by the seat of his pants, if you will, there, you know? Yeah. Coming up, coming up with a way to win, even in the impossible situation. Well, you know, that was the mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was impossible, as a matter yeah. of fact. That's what and I'm saying. Speaking, speaking of exactly that, I was on a, um, a website just now where it was sort of going over a lot of the plot elements of uh, Mission Impossible, which is a confusing movie for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the uh, the plot device that they call a Chekhov's gun, which is an item that they introduce in a, in a thing and then it comes back to be important later? Okay. Um, I don't after. know that Chekhov's gun thing, but yeah, um, I understand the premise that you're presenting. Yeah, it's after the uh, um, and uh, Anton Chekhov. Yes, you, you. So you know, but the point is, is that um, that was Chekhov's gum. <laughs> okay, got it. So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that setup was worth the payoff of nothing. <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> oh boy. Well, actually, that that that's it. We completed the, the, uh, the rank. Um, Where does Mission Impossible fit? It might have. I think we gave it pretty good there. Did it end up above speed? Is my question. 
It's above speed. Mm. It's above hero. It's above hero, even. It is below bullet train. Huh. But it beat Predator. That's all a bit surprising. But then again, I, always, I forgot that we like Bullet Train quite as much as we did. Oh, Bullet Train's so good. This movie, um, was, this movie was like 1-8 Bullet Train, although it's not really a Bullet Train. Yeah, well, so Bullet Train is at 84.95. Mm-hmm. Predator is at 83.65. Mm-hmm. So tucked neatly right in between them, Mission Impossible at 83.9. Very close. Okay, so that is the rank for Mission Impossible 1. Um, ended up being ranked well. Yeah, um, really well. Yeah, it's, I, I would have thought it was impossible, but there we are. Um, so you can join us next time, right, for uh, where we'll be ranking Bullet, the 1968 Steve McQueen film. Um, Steve the Queen. Yeah, and if you want to see an update on the rankings, uh, you can check out our website, therankwithjohnandzack.com. So uh, for John and Zach, thank you, goodbye, and... Sledano. Um, that's but weird. let's see if we can get Chipotle to advertise on this episode. <laughs> me, I'm getting some some regurgitation going. Mm, good old Chipotle. <laughs>